If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele. And I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 74 of the Leading Learning Podcast. This time around, we are very excited to be talking with Dr. Robert Cialdini, arguably the most influential person there is when it comes to the topics of influence and persuasion. Before we turn to the interview, we want to thank your membership, the sponsor for the Leading Learning Podcast for the first quarter of 2017. YM's learning management system is specifically designed for professional education with a highly flexible and intuitive system that customizes the learning experience. YM's LMS seamlessly integrates with key systems to manage all of your educational content formats in one central location while providing powerful tools to create and deliver assessments, evaluations, and learning communities. You can find out more about your membership at yourmembership.com. We also want to note that the recordings from our recent learning technology design virtual conference are now available. We created Learning Technology Design, or LTD for short, specifically for professionals in the business of continuing education and professional development, and you can register to get access to all of the great content delivered at the live online event by going to ltd.leadinglearning.com. Now, we've started including a resource highlight as part of the intro for the podcast, but Jeff, I know you wanted to highlight this episode's resource as part of introducing your conversation with Dr. Cialdini. That's right. Uh, As many listeners no doubt will know, Dr. Cialdini is the author of Influence, The Psychology of Persuasion. And that book actually came out in the 1980s, um, but since has become a a mega bestseller and appropriately enough, one of the most influential business books of all time. More recently, uh, Cialdini came out with a long-awaited follow-up to Influence called Persuasion, A Revolutionary Way to Influence and Persuade. So as our resource this time around, we want to urge listeners to read both of these books. They're both incredibly valuable and have tremendous implications, both for how we approach marketing and for how we approach education and learning. So if you haven't read them, definitely get copies of both. You can find them on Amazon, of course, just like you can pretty much any book. Um, Even if you have read them, consider rereading them. They're, They're that valuable. And I suppose you got the chance to discuss both books with Dr. Cialdini? We did. We, we definitely touched on material from both books, though, really with a focus towards persuasion, since that's the, the more recent book. And um, we focused on some of the, the key insights from that, and as you might expect, how they apply to organizations in the business of lifelong learning. And I think listeners are, are really going to enjoy this interview. Bob is a real pleasure to talk to. He, he's always interesting to listen to. And related to that, and, and knowing that many of our listeners are always looking for good speakers for their events, um, I wanted to mention also that uh, I, I actually first saw Bob as a keynote speaker, and he's captivating in that role. So you know, if your organization is looking for a great speaker, you should definitely contact him. Well, great. Let's have a listen to what you guys discussed. Hey there, this is Jeff Cobb, and I am really excited about our guest today on the Leading Learning Podcast. Dr. Robert Cialdini is a New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and USA Today bestselling author. 
Fortune Magazine has listed his classic book, Influence, The Psychology of Persuasion, in their 75 smartest business books, and CEO Reed puts Influence in its 100 best business books of all time. On top of all that, Dr. Cialdini is currently Regents Professor Emeritus of Psychology and Marketing at Arizona State University. He is President and CEO of Influence at Work, and he has a new best-selling book out, Persuasion, that we will definitely be talking about in this episode. Finally, I'll note that he has been interviewed by such illustrious interviewers as Larry King, so I am definitely awed and humbled to be sitting in the interviewer chair today. So, Bob, welcome to the Leading Learning Podcast. Well, thank you, Jeff. I'm glad to be with you and your followers. Well, yeah, thanks for making the time. And I'd, I'd like to dive right in to take full advantage of having you here. So I'm going to assume that most listeners are familiar with influence. And if not, then I certainly urge them to put it at the top of their reading list. But with that in mind, I'm not going to ask you to, to rehash materials from influence. Um, but there has been a significant gap in time between that earlier book and your new book, Persuasion. And I know in other interviews, you've explained that gap by saying that uh, you just didn't have another idea big enough to stand beside influence, but obviously you, you have that big idea now. So could you share the, the core idea behind persuasion with listeners in your own words? And, and as you do that, I'd love to hear your thoughts about uh, you know, what, if anything, makes that core idea of persuasion so urgent or, or critical right now. Surely. Uh, for me, the practice of persuasion uh, involves arranging for an audience to be sympathetic to your message before they encounter it. Now, that may sound like some kind of magic. How do you get people to agree with something they haven't even heard? Well, it's not magic. It turns out to be established science. And the way it works is that if a communicator can change the state of mind or the mindset of an audience so that it is consistent with the message they are yet to hear, when they do encounter the message, they will be more sympathetic and attracted to it. And so, I mean, as you said, you know, scientifically based, I mean, you've obviously done a huge amount of, of research uh, into this um, to, to establish um, the principles behind persuasion. Now, one aspect of the, the book that, that really struck me and, and seemed, you know, core to it in many ways was just, just how powerful questions are as a tool and just, you know, how even imperceptible changes to a question can dramatically change the results that the, the questioner gets. And I have in mind, in particular, the example you give of religious cult recruiters. You know, so when they recruit new members, they'll often ask, uh, "Are you unhappy?" rather than "Are you happy?" or the more neutral, "Are you happy or unhappy?" And just that that small shift in, in language, and it seems like you know, so much of your book is about these small shifts. Just that small shift really primes the listeners to be more receptive to their message. As you said, it sort of you know, precedes the, uh, the, the ground for it. So building on that example, are, are there some practical tips that you can offer to listeners on you know, how they can approach asking questions in, in a way that's going to produce better answers? Yes, of course. But you know what? I think we could even go earlier than mm. the question. What, what happens when people walk into a room uh, that puts them in a state of mind that's likely to be congruent with the message we want to send in that room. Um, there's research, for example, that shows that if people go into a wine shop, uh, 
if there's German music playing on the PA system, they're more likely to buy German wine. Mm. If there's French music playing, they're more likely to buy a French vintage. Well, I know your uh, your listeners are, are are often in the learning business. There are meetings and so on. Right. Well, here's the question: What music should they be playing? for people as they walk into the room. What's the goal of the me? It's not just, oh, let's put an up-tempo song to get people's energy up and get them, uh, you know, moving in a positive direction. No, no. Mm. What's much more precise than that? Is that meeting designed to produce a receptiveness to change? Is it designed to produce unity? Is it designed to produce uh, energy for achievement in the next quarter? What is – well, you can choose a musical selection that's consistent with that concept and set a, a, a frame of mind that makes messages that fit that concept more agreeable. So that's one thing we can do. Here's another thing. You know, very often when there's a there's a, a, a PowerPoint uh, presentation program uh, planned for a meeting, you know, we spend a lot of time. What do we put in that? What do we put in those uh, those images, those frames of that message? Here's my question: What's on the screen when people walk in the room? Mm. There should be imagery that's consistent with not just the brand or the logo of the organization. No, with the goal of the meeting, right. in fact, of that particular session. Right. So that's that's one thing. Now we can get to the question to the, the issue of what question do you ask, and it, again, it depends on the goal you have for your message. Um, you were referring to some research I talked about in the book, uh, where if we can get people focused on uh, their um, whether they're happy or unhappy mm -hmm. by how we ask the question. There's another study, actually a couple of studies. One has to do with the idea of helpfulness. So re researchers walk up to people on the street and ask them if they'd be willing to help out with a large marketing survey. It would require a, a considerable amount of their time and they wouldn't get any uh, compensation for it. As you can imagine, the great majority of people declined. Only 29% said, okay, I'm interested in this uh, topic. Go ahead and interview me. But if the researchers preceded that request for help with a persuasive question, excuse me, uh, I wonder, do you consider yourself a helpful person? People reflected on their helpful natures. They got in touch with their helpful side. And now 75% of these people agreed to the marketing survey. Mm. What concept, what trait was brought to mind by the first question they were asked before the request was made? Let's take another example. Very often what we're looking for from people is a willingness to 
try something new, to break out of their existing habits, to do something that they haven't done before. Right. Companies often require that when there are new initiatives uh, on the table and everybody has to get on board. Well, in this study, it was that same group of researchers who walked up to people and asked if they were helpful. This time, they walked up to people and asked if they'd be willing to try a brand new soft drink that was on the market, right? but they had never, that was not yet on the market, so they had never tried it. But to do so, they had to give the researcher who's just walked up to them, their email address. Now, that's a risky thing to do, to give some stranger your email address, right? Mm -hmm. And so, in this case, once again, very few people agreed. Only um, 33% agreed. But if the researchers preceded the question with, excuse me, I wonder if I could ask you, do you consider yourself an adventurous person? Almost everyone said yes, because they were just steered to their adventurous side. They could, they could recall times when they were adventurous. Mm -hmm. And now 77% gave their email address to a perfect stranger who walked up to them on the street, unbidden, unsolicited, right? So they could get a new brand of soft drink. All right. So those are the kinds of questions that we can address. And by the way, they don't have to be verbal. In a follow-up study, these researchers showed that simply handing people a flyer that at the top said, do you consider yourself a helpful person, more mm -hmm. than doubled the willingness of people who would then give – excuse me, do you consider yourself an adventurous person? Right. Then more than doubled the percent of people who would be willing to give their uh, email address to get a new sample of soft drink, a, a sample of a new brand that had never been tried before. And I wonder, because you brought up earlier sort of the, the context of a meeting and sort of, you know, um, setting the, the stage for, for questions. But, um, I mean, often the purpose of, uh, say, an association meeting is to bring people together to learn. You know, they're, they're there to be educated um, either formally or informally. And ideally, that organization wants people to walk out and actually have learned something, actually have retained it, actually do something in their day-to-day -day life. I mean, is it as simple as, you know, potentially posing a question or maybe it's, you know, flyers on the table or whatever – along the lines of, you know, do you consider yourself a committed lifelong learner or, or something like that? I mean, it's would that work? Is that... Uh... That would work. Do you consider yourself an admitted, a, a, a committed lifelong learner? It's, it, here's what happens when you ask that question. It sends people down a particular memory shoot, mm. right, where the target is times when they have been a committed learner. Throughout and then throughout their life, they will ha they will find those hits if they're in that room. They will find the those hits, and now they will be readied for information that's consistent with that side of them that's just been brought to prominence in consciousness. 
That's fascinating, fascinating. And you also, as you were talking about the, you know, the context of a meeting, uh, you brought up, you know, the one one purpose of a meeting might be to 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 drive or to, to spark unity uh, among the people there. And um, you know, and I, I said I wasn't going to rehash influence, but you know, I, I certainly have to note that in persuasion, you add a seventh principle of influence to your to the six you discussed in your earlier book, and that principle is unity. Um, you know, and and obviously, you know, many of our listeners are from trade and professional associations. Those are groups for which the idea of, of, of unity or identity, you know, is really a driving force. So can you, can you say a bit more about, you know, why you felt compelled to introduce that seventh principle? And, and also if you see ways in which it might be particularly useful to groups like trade and professional associations. Yes. So the reason I began uh, thinking about it as a separate uh, seventh principle of influence is I started to get evidence in the research literature in uh, behavioral science of the power of the idea of joint membership of common identity in a particular category or group. Um, So, um, it's just the case that people say yes to those who they see as of them, not like them, of them, mm. one of them, right? And all that's necessary frequently is to bring to, sur- to the surface the fact that we are, we do share an identity in some particular way. I'll give you an example from my own experience. Um, a while ago, while I was thinking about all this unity research, I I, I was doing a, a project where I ne- uh, I had a deadline to submit the report the next day, and I realized the day before that I I didn't have the data I needed for one particular section, mm. but I knew that one of my colleagues in the psychology department where I work did have the the data because he had done a project uh, that that collected uh, the data I needed. So I sent him an email. Uh, Let's call him Tom. It's not his real name. Who is kind of an irascible, sort of sour guy. Everybody knows you. You sort of walk on eggs around Tom. But I sent him an email saying, Tom, I'm in a bind. I need uh, some data for a project that's due tomorrow. I don't have it, but I know you have it in your files. I'm going to call you and ask you if you can uh, dig it up and, 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 and send it to me. So I called him and he said, Bob, I know why you're why you're calling. And uh, I'm sorry, I can't help you. Look, I know you're a busy man, but I'm a busy man. I've got my own projects and deadlines. I can't be responsible for your poor time management skills. Well, Jeff, if, if I hadn't been reading the Unity research, here's what I would have said to Tom. Tom, I really need this. I'd appreciate it if you could help me out with this. I would have done something like that. And I'm pretty sure he would have doubled down and said, too bad, I just told you why. Right. Instead, I said, Tom, you know, we've been in the same psychology department for 12 years. Mm. I really need this. Mm. I'd appreciate it if you could do it for me. I had the information that afternoon. That's that's powerful, definitely. all I had to do was point to something that was true. I didn't have to create it. I didn't have to manufacture it. I certainly didn't have to counterfeit it. I just had to point to something, a genuine commonality of membership. Mm-hmm. 
And everything is easier inside the boundaries of what I call we, the right. concept of we, W-E, not the French. Right. We. But it both get to the same thing. W-E gets to O-U-I, you know, gets to we, the French. Mm. That's funny. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's, I mean, I find it true again and again, too, that, um, I think a lot of trained professional associations take that unity element sort of for granted, um, and they don't necessarily highlight it in the way they could. If you go to their websites, there aren't necessarily you know a lot of pictures of you know other people right. like me engaging right. in things like me. You know that's that's powerful stuff. It's simple, but but not not enough of it gets done. Standing together in a to, in a togetherness cooperative pose. Hmm. You know, there's the. Here's the greatest surprise I got of all the research I studied for, uh, before writing this book. There was a study done in Belgium. Researchers brought subjects into an experiment. One third of them saw a picture of someone standing alone several times. They saw that picture several times. Another third of them saw two individuals standing apart, separate. Hmm. A third group saw two individuals standing shoulder to shoulder in a cooperative kind of togetherness pose. Then for all of them, the researcher got up from the table and pretended to spill a bunch of items onto the floor. And the question was, who gets down and helps her? Who gets down on their knees and helps her? No question those who had seen two people standing shoulder to shoulder first in a persuasive image were three times as likely to help. Mm. Now, that's not what shocked me about this research, because by then I had seen other studies like this. Right. It was that the subjects in this experiment were 18-month-old children. <laughs> they were babies. And this process is still active. Yeah. It's working. It's in us from the start. That's how primitive this is. Yeah. Wow. So, okay. images of people standing together. Now, the key is just before your request or just before your, your message, stressing the need for unity, that has to occur. Interesting, interesting. And so to take that a little bit farther, you know, a, a big idea in um, particularly the association world, but this is everywhere uh, right now, I think, is just uh, this, this idea of community, uh, particularly online community, but just in, yeah. in general, bringing together communities of people and often for uh, learning purposes, you know, whether, whether right. formal or informal. And so I, I wanted to just, you know, across all of your ideas, really, not just persuasion, but going back to influence and everything else you've written about, um, I'm wondering, you know, from the standpoint of people, I won't, I won't exactly call them teachers because a lot of the people that I'm talking about aren't necessarily directly teaching themselves, but they are, they're helping to make learning happen. They're trying to facilitate learning, you know, whether that's with a single mm-hmm. student or might be across, you know, an entire field or industry. Um, you know, if that's your role, facilitating learning, what do you feel it's most critical to know and to practice out of your ideas? Well, of course, to facilitate learning, we have to move people in the direction of learning. Mm. Right? And here's the most critical um, 
lesson, I think, I would learn of moving people in anyone's direction. And it comes from an experience that a a colleague of mine had, a marketing professor, uh, who set out to study, to find the single most effective influence strategies, Mm. strategy, single Mm -hmm. strategy of all influence strategies. What's most likely to be uh, effective and uh, powerful across the widest range of populations? And I saw him at a conference three years in to his study, and he said, Bob, I found it. I found the single most effective influence strategy. It is not to have a single influence strategy. Right. That's a fool's errand Mm. to think you could find that. No, you have to change your approach with every situation, which with every goal you have, with every population you're facing, with every offer that you're making, you have to align your messaging with the features of the situation rather than to try to make the f- situation conform to the same tactic that you use, your favorite tactic uh, of influence. Right, right. All right. Well, just more, more proof then that, uh, that people need to read the entire body of your work. Go back to Influence, read that, uh, read Persuasion. Um, I, I definitely strongly recommend that um, as part of everyone's learning journey. As, as we're starting to, to wrap up, um, you know, we've been talking a lot about learning here. This is a podcast that's really about uh, learning or being in the learning business. So we do like to ask every guest uh, on the Leading Learning Podcast how do you go about engaging in your own lifelong learning? So what, you know, what are some of your key practices and tools that you're using you know, day in and day out, week in and week out to, to make sure you're staying on, on top of your game? The key for me is to not just stay current with the research or the ideas or the commentary in my particular arena. It's to go outside of that arena, mm. to go to talks, to uh, to visit bloggers and so on, who are talking at the peripheries of my interest, but whose insights might translate to what I am interested in studying and knowing. Because in our inside our silo, we develop best practices, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that's inside. If we're always just developing best practices inside, we may not see best practices in allied arenas that would fit with us as well. So that's the way I try to stay uh, current. Well, wise advice, and we've heard that uh, from a number of people who I really uh, respect, you know, as, as lifelong learners and as uh, thought leaders in, in their field. So, well, Bob, thanks so much for, for taking the time to, to be on the podcast today. As, as we're winding down here, um, I do want to ask, you know, obviously your books are available on Amazon, so people can, can go there and, and get persuasion and get influence. But if they, if they just want to find out more about you and about your work in general, what, what are the best ways for them to go about that? Well, you know, uh, probably the best way is to go to our website, influenceatwork.com. Influence at work is all one word, dot com. Great. Well, thanks again. We truly appreciate your taking the time to be on the podcast. I enjoyed it. 
That wraps up our interview with Dr. Robert Cialdini. As we're exiting, we want to say thanks again to your membership for sponsoring this episode of the Leading Learning Podcast. You can find out more about your membership at yourmembership.com. We also want to mention again that recordings from Learning Technology Design, or LTD, the virtual conference we held specifically for professionals in the business of continuing education and professional development are now available. So you can get all the details and register for access to those recordings at ltd.leadinglearning.com. To get show notes for this episode, just go to leadinglearning.com slash episode 74. While you're there, you'll be able to find links to Dr. Cialdini's books and also contact information for him. Uh, while you're there, you will also see various options for subscribing to this podcast. And if you're getting value out of the podcast, we would be truly grateful if you would subscribe. And you can also color us grateful if you'd take just a minute to give us a rating on iTunes. To do that, you can go to leadinglearning.com slash iTunes. We really appreciate you doing this because it makes a world of difference in helping others find the podcast. Finally, consider telling others about the podcast. You can send out a tweet simply by going to leadinglearning.com slash share, and that will automatically pop up a tweet that you can just uh, zip on out to your network. Or if tweeting isn't your thing, you can take the text there and put it into another social network, LinkedIn, Facebook, whatever your preference is. Thanks again, and see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast.